Thanks for joining us for Open Bible Online today. Open Bible Baptist Church has been in South Jersey for over 60 years. We love this community and we want to be a help to you. In order to help us help you in the best way possible, would you do us a favor? Please fill out the digital connection card posted in this link. Here you could post prayer requests and also ask any questions you may have about Open Bible. If you'd like to give today, you could give online in less than two minutes. Visit openbiblenj.org for more information. Thanks again for joining us today. Now enjoy the service. We're glad you're here. If you have your Bibles, I'd like for you to open your Bibles to the book of James. Join me this morning, book of James. And you may want to you may want to put a finger there for, oh, I don't know, maybe three or four months, because we're going to begin a study this morning. Put somebody else's finger there. You need yours, right? Uh, we're going to begin a study this morning in the book of James that's going to, I don't know how long it's going to take, but we're not in a hurry, right? We're just waiting for the rapture, you know? And so uh, we're going to study out the book of James. We're going to go verse by verse, and uh, we won't go topic by topic, but we will go verse by verse. And, uh, man, it's a great book in the Bible. You know it's a practical book, right? It's, it's kind of, for me, it's kind of like a how-to read on the Christian life. Did you ever read the book James? Uh, one of my all-time favorite books in the Bible. And the reason is, is because it's so practical. And I like practical, you know. I, I, like, I, I like practical instruction that helps me in my journey of faith. And that's what we're on. We're on a journey of faith, Right? And so for the next several weeks, and it, it'll be for a while, we'll probably take it to the end of the year to get through this, we're going to study through the book of James on Sunday morning. Now, I know it's a holiday weekend, and many of our folks are away, many are away, so I'm going to preach the same message next Sunday so you can take off, okay? No, that's not true, but I will highlight a number of the things I say today next week because there's a number of folks away today. I want to do this. I don't often do this, but I want to do this this morning. I want to show a short video as way of introduction to the book of James. I think you're going to enjoy it. So guys, if you're ready, go ahead and flip that video up, and then we'll come back here and we'll begin our study. The letter of James, or at least that's his name in English. If you look in the Greek, you will see that his name is Yaakovas, which translates his Hebrew name Yaakov. And that's why most ancient and modern translations render his name as Jacob, and that's what we're going to call him in this video. Now, there are many Jacobs in the New Testament. Two of them belong to Jesus' inner circle of the twelve disciples, but this letter comes from the Jacob, who was the half-brother of Jesus himself. Now, we learn this Jacob's story from the book of Acts and from Paul's letters. After Peter moved on from Jerusalem to go start new churches, Jesus' half-brother Jacob rose to prominence as a leader in the mother church in Jerusalem. It was made up mostly of Messianic or Christian Jews. This was the first Christian community ever, and we know that it fell on hard times during the 20 years that Jacob was its leader. There was a famine that led to great poverty in the region, and these Messianic Jews were being persecuted by Jewish leaders in Jerusalem. But through it all, Jacob was known as a pillar of the Jerusalem church. He was also known as a peacemaker who led with wisdom and courage until he was tragically murdered. And in this book, we have the legacy of Jacob's teaching and wisdom condensed into a short and very powerful work. 
The book begins like a letter. He greets all the Messianic Jews who were living outside the land of Israel. But this does not read like one of Paul's letters where he addresses specific problems in one local church. Rather, this book is a summary of Jacob's sage wisdom for any and every community of Jesus' followers. And Jacob's goal isn't to teach new theological information. Rather, he wants to get in your business and challenge how you live. Jacob's wisdom has been heavily influenced by two sources. The first is Jesus' teaching about life in the kingdom of God, especially the Sermon on the Mount, which he's constantly echoing and quoting in the book. The second key influence is the biblical wisdom book of Proverbs, especially the poems in Proverbs 1 through 9. Jacob literally grew up with Jesus and with the book of Proverbs, and so now his own teaching sounds like them. It's stamped by their language and imagery. The book consists of short, challenging wisdom speeches that are full of metaphors and easy-to-memorize one-liners. And in essence, Jacob is calling the Messianic community to become truly wise by living according to Jesus' summary of the Torah, to love God and to love your neighbor as yourself. That's great truth there, isn't it? I hope you enjoy the way I sketched that out for you. Did you like that? The, uh, I'm not sure if you took notice to a couple of things that was, was said in that video. I want to highlight just, just a couple of them. One thing is this. I, I like how uh, the uh, video highlighted the book of Proverbs. Because they say this, they say the book of James, New Testament, is a reflection of the Old Testament book of Proverbs. And you know, proverb is just a concise, it's just a, a concise statement of wisdom. It's a one-liner. I love one-liners. Don't you like one-liners? Love one-liners. And when you look in the book of James, it kind of, it again, mimics, uh, compares with the book of Proverbs because it's giving us, you know, just these statements of wisdom that will certainly help us in our journey of faith. And that's what we, we want more than anything. Isn't that right? The second thing I highlighted there in my own study is the fact that James gets right he just gets right into it. He rolls up his sleeve and he begins to deal with, you know, uh, the body of Christ, the church, born again believers, right where they are. And he challenges and he exhorts. And you ever hear this word before? He rebukes. You know what a rebuke is? A rebuke is, is a stern you know, challenge. I mean, it's, we would say it's like just, you know, he got in my face. Did anybody ever get in your face before? Has your preacher ever gotten in your face before? You're really quiet today, aren't you? Huh. Yeah, you don't like that part of it. Well, uh, James, tremendous study. And, and what you do when you, when you begin to read the book of James is you see the practical instruction. And there's a number, now you guys are with me up there, right? There's a number uh, of, of topics that James discusses. Now, I'm not going uh, to go through all of these this morning. This is just an intro to our study, right? Mm, but let's take a peek at some of the topics that the book of James, James discusses in this letter. Uh, he begins to talk about this. He talks about showing partiality in the church. Say amen right there. Huh? Uh, if he were alive today, he might preach against cliques. <laughs> right? You know what a clique is, right? It's a group of people who think that nobody else exists but them. I thought that was better than you let on. There's a, you know, there's a philosophy in church work that goes like thus, us four and no more. 
Say amen right there. Us four and no more. And here's the problem with that. The problem with that is this. When there is no more of the four, there's just no more. Right? And so James speaks a little bit about it. And we'll get into it a little bit in our study weeks from now. Uh, but showing partiality in the church. And, and he, doesn't, he doesn't encourage it, of course. In fact, he's rebuking it. He's saying to the body of Christ, this ought not to be. Another thing you'll find is this. He talks a little bit about gossip in and out, outside the church, inside the church and outside the church. Huh? And so basically we say this, well, you know, pastor, I wasn't talking about that person while I was in church. <laughs> you know, we were just sitting around the coffee table just ripping them apart. That's okay, right? No, James talks a whole lot about the tongue and how it's an unruly evil. And he talks about how, how difficult it is to control it. And it, that's true, isn't it? Let's be honest, right? In fact, when, when we get to that area there, I'm probably going to have one of the deacons teach on that because I still struggle with the tongue. How about you? Yeah, we do. James talks about this. He talks about, get this one, strife between church members. That ought not to be, right? I mean, we ought to come to a place of, of maturity where we're willing to accept wrong, where we're willing and able to accept being defrauded. But instead, man, I tell you, you go to some churches, did you ever hear this uh, terminology? You can just cut it. Uh, you can just cut it. I mean, there's tension and there's strife. And I mean to tell you, that ought not so to be. Uh, Preacher Riddell, I've never been in a church business meeting where it got out of hand. I've been, I've been pastoring for this year 35 years as a lead pastor, uh, pastored large congregations. Never one time, Mrs. Genesee, have we ever had a church meeting get out of hand. Never one time. You know why? Because it's not uh, of the Spirit of the Lord. You know, I remember one time in a, a church meeting where something started to go awry. And you know what I did as the moderator of the meeting? I said, folks, I can see this is not going in a good direction. The meeting is adjourned. We ended it. And everybody said, amen. There ought not be strife between brethren. We ought to get it right. You know, if there's somebody in this room that you got something with, man, I tell you, before you leave here today, you ought to make that right because that'll hinder your Christian life. James speaks about that. He talks about this, spiritual arrogance and ignorance. <laughs> uh, hello. They kind of go together. In fact, I should have flipped that. Oh, I did flip that. I, on my notes, I have arrogance and ignorance, but there it's ignorance and arrogance because when you're ignorant, you're arrogant. You say, what do you mean by that, preacher? It'll take me too long to describe it for us this morning, you know? But do you, ever, do you ever find some people that just take their stand and they will not move and they'll fight to the end, but they're wrong? And the reason they're wrong is because they just won't admit they're wrong. They're ignorant and they become arrogant. I didn't even start preaching yet. And then he speaks about this. He speaks about holding grudges, holding on to grudges, right? You just can't let it go. Huh? What do you think? You think maybe I ought to keep this study for a couple of years from now? Uh, I'm not sure we can get into this. And then he speaks about this. He speaks about uh, faults and, and confessing faults one to another. Now, I want you to notice this, and we'll get there, but please don't leave here today thinking that James is saying we ought to confess our sin one to another. 
No, you don't, no, that's not what he's talking about. Confessing faults one to another. And every once in a while, it's okay to come along, just like I did a little bit ago, and say something like this. You know what? I still struggle with, I still have a hard time with, because there's somebody else having a hard time with or struggling with something you're struggling with, but they may think they're the only person struggling with it. And so when you come alongside of them and you confess that, you know what, I'm struggling with this as well, man alive, they, they get a little bit of encouragement. Isn't that what we all need? And so James talks about confessing our faults uh, one to another. And so uh, just five chapters, but loaded with much needed instruction. And if I can summarize the whole letter in a statement or in a few words, it would be spiritual maturity. Look at verse number four real quick. We're going to go down the line here. But he says, let patience have her perfect work that ye may be, what? Perfect and entire. I almost entitled this uh, series, How to Become Perfect. But I didn't think you would come because most of us, we already think we are. You know? But what he's talking about there, that word perfect means complete or mature. And so the whole discussion here of James is to encourage us, we, the church, to become spiritually mature. Or, here's a better word, grown up. Grown up. Because here's, here's the truth. Just because you're growing, old, growing older does not mean you're growing up. Let me say that one more time. Just because you're growing older does not mean you're growing up. Because I know a lot of senior citizens who are immature. Huh? It reminds me of a story I heard about, and I shared this with Brother Riddell the other day. I heard a story about a fella in a movie theater. And the usher came down the aisle and he saw this guy. He was lying, he was lying across three seats. And, and the usher said to the fellow, he said, excuse me, sir. He said, but I'm going to have to ask you to, uh, to sit up. And, and the guy didn't budge. I mean, he didn't budge, didn't say a word. And the usher said again, he said, excuse me, sir. He said, but, but you can't lie across those three seats. I'm going to have to ask you to sit up. And again, the guy didn't say a word, didn't budge. And so the usher said, sir, if you, if you don't sit up, I'm going to have to get my manager. Guy didn't budge. A couple minutes later, here comes the manager down the aisle, and the, aisle, the manager comes over and says, excuse me, sir, uh, but you, you can't lie across these seats like this. We're going to have to ask you to sit up. The guy didn't budge. Didn't move. And so the manager said again, sir, sir, excuse me, but you cannot lie across three seats like this. We need those seats. I'm going to have to ask you to sit up. The guy didn't budge. So the manager says, sir, if you, don't, if you don't sit up, I'm going to have to call the police. Nothing. A few minutes later, here comes the police down the aisle, and they walk over to the man, uh, to where the man was, and the police officer says to him, excuse me, sir, but what is your name? And the fellow looked at him and said, Tom, uh, Tommy. And so the police officer said, Tommy, where did you come from? And Tommy looked up and said, the balcony. <laughs> You'll get that when you get home. Tommy fell over the balcony. He was... So why'd you bring that up? There's a moral to that story, and here it is. Listen to this carefully. When something that should be moving is not moving, something is usually wrong. Now, let me say that one more time. When something that should be moving is not moving, something is usually wrong. And here's, here's a sad commentary. Sad commentary is there's many Christians lying around in the church just moaning. You can say amen. That's okay. You won't hurt anybody's feelings. 
There's a lot of churches filled with born-again, blood-washed, heaven-bound believers who were doing nothing more than lying around moaning. And you know what that tells us? Something's wrong. Something's wrong. And that's what James speaks about. That's what James addresses, you know? And, and so, having said that, let's do this. Let's, let's just lay the foundation today because when, when, look here, there's nothing more damaging to a New Testament church than immaturity. Because immaturity opens up the door to so many other problems. Huh? I mean, you get churches that fight over the slightest thing, you know? I, I mean, the color of gospel tracks. Right? I mean, they're, they're ready to, it's a civil war. You know, uh, we didn't have a certain favorite tea at the fellowship. Huh? And I'm not even getting into the weightier discussions like I didn't like that song. Hello? Huh? Man, alive. You know what that proves? It proves that we're immature because we're focused our attention on all the things that really don't matter. I don't like the color of that gospel track, but thank God we have gospel tracks. Thank God we, we belong to a church that has an interest in seeing people get saved. Hello? But man, we'll get all bent out of shape because, just because. Just because. I told a preacher mm, not long ago. In fact, uh, Alex, I was at your wedding sitting with your pastor. We had great fellowship. Uh, and he said, he said to me, we're talking pastor talk. We're talking shop. And one of the things he said to me is, you know, preacher, he said, it's just, man, people today come to church more than ever with their preferences. He said, have you found that? I said, oh, yeah. I said, I pastored for a long period of time. You know what we did? I led my deacons to purchase a preference checker, and we put it at the door kind of like a metal detector. And so when you walk in, it detects preferences, and immediately you can't go in with them. And he looked at me and said, you really thought this out, haven't you? I said, oh, yeah. I also, I hired a drama pastor. He said, what? I said, I hired a fellow on staff to deal with all the drama. I said, I had to pay him a million dollars, but man, it worked. Yeah, why? Because that's just the way church has become today. Look here, look here. It's all about me. God forbid if we should say, I'll consider that. I'll consider that. It's all about me. It doesn't work for me, so if it doesn't work for me, it's a no-go. That's what church has become. The last I checked, the church is supposed to be the body of Christ, and it's whatever works for him. How could I, look here, how could I get on board? How could I do my part? What's my role? That's all I want to do. I'm just show up and do my part. Well, that's, that's good preaching. That's good preaching if I have to say so myself. And so let's lay the foundation of our study this morning by looking at verse number one and the author. The Bible says this in verse number one, James. And then he considers himself a servant of God. Now let's be clear because I want to be clear. We believe that God wrote the Bible every part of it from start to finish. He wrote Genesis, and he wrote Revelation, and he wrote all the in-between parts. In fact, the center book in the Bible is the book of Hezekiah, and he wrote that too. Right? Come on, somebody say amen there. <laughs> yeah. 
So God wrote it all. However, because I would have said this morning, pay attention now, there's 66 books in the Bible. I may have had to say this morning, if James didn't have his name on it, I would have had to say to you this morning, please turn to the 58th book in the Bible. And you'd have said, huh? Right? Huh? James is the 58th book in the Bible. Right? And so God, because he's so gracious, he allowed the men, the women that he used to write the Bible to put their name on it. And so I say, turn to the book of James rather than turn to the, because then if we had turned to the 58th book in the Bible, it would have said, it would have just said, uh, I'm writing, I'm writing, God, I'm writing to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad. And James would have had no part in this. Because all James was, was a, a warm body. Are you with me? God inspires James. God speaks into James's heart. God gives James revelation, and what he does, he takes it from his heart, and he puts it on paper. Hello? And then we say, Holy Spirit, please take it from the paper and put it in my heart. See how that works? Huh? Revelation, inspiration, revelation, illumination. It's all good, isn't it? That's the way God gives it to us. But he uses a fellow named James to write these words. And so who is James? He is he's the writer. And in verse number one, we find his greeting or, or the salutation, right? He, he's greeting the recipients. Now, I want you to understand this. I want you to understand that James was a very popular New Testament book. In fact, on Wednesday night when I said I'm on a, we're going to do a brand new study on the book of James, George Matthews said, is that the book of James Kima? I said, no, only Roz has that book. You know, no, this is, this is a book in the Bible. And James, there's at least four New Testament Jameses mentioned in the Bible. You can check it out for yourself. Now we're doing, we're doing a study here, right? This is not just flat-out preaching. It might turn into that in just a little bit if you keep acting the way you are. Uh, but I want you to notice in Mark chapter, don't, don't turn there, but in Mark chapter 3, verse 17, we read about James and John, the sons of Zebedee, right? That's one James. They have nickname. You know what their nickname is? Yeah, say it again. Sons of thunder. Or you know, what, you know, you know how you interpret that? Soon angry ones. <laughs> so, I mean to tell you, boy, they just lived on the edge. It didn't take much to... Push him over, you know? That's one James. And then in, in uh, uh, Matthew chapter 10, verse 3, we read about James, the son of Alphas. It's another James. In Luke chapter number 6, verse 16, you read about a fellow named James who is the father of Judas. Not Judas Iscariot, another guy named Judas. And then in Matthew chapter number 13, flip it if you would, guys. Matthew 13, 55, look what it says. Uh, it says, is not, uh, is not this the carpenter's son? Speaking about Jesus. Is not his mother called Mary and his brethren or his brothers James? There he is, James. So we believe this. We believe that James, this James, the James who God used to write the New Testament book of James was the Lord's half-brother. Interesting perspective, don't you think? He's the Lord's half-brother. And, and interesting about this fellow James is this. Uh, he, didn't come, he didn't come to salvation. He didn't really come to believe in Christ until after the resurrection. 
you know? During that period of time when Jesus was predicting who he was or telling who he was and why he was here, a lot of these guys had a hard time with that. James comes to know Christ, we believe, after the resurrection. Uh, there's proof of that in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse number 7. And he becomes one of the leaders in the church of Jerusalem. By the way, are you aware of this? Are you aware that the church in Jerusalem, the first church in Jerusalem, it wasn't the first Baptist church in Jerusalem, but it was the first church in Jerusalem, was probably the largest church in all of the New Testament? I mean, that's where it got started. Do you know they say this, preacher, that the, the, the membership in the church of Jerusalem could have been upwards of 40,000 people? Pretty big church. And there's evidence that not only was James one of the leaders, you can read that in Galatians chapter number 2, verse number 9, but there's also evidence that he was the lead pastor. How about that? He's the lead pastor, James. So you say, well, who, who's this James uh, fella who writes the book of James? I tell you, man, according to, the, according to, 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 to antiquity and history, He's an individual who had, he had some depth in his life. And you can notice that by the next statement. Look, look in chapter 1, verse 1. He says, James, what's the next few words? Now, I really believe what I just said. I believe the church in Jerusalem was a significant church, a large church. It was the first church that we read about, you know? James was the pastor of it. And most guys, I hate to say this, but most guys would have started this letter by saying, Dr. James, the pastor of the First Baptist Church of Jerusalem. He may even said, Dr. James, next to that pastor, bishop, reverend, apostle. Huh? Or maybe, maybe he wanted to be a little low-key. Maybe he might have said this, James, the half-brother of the Lord Jesus Christ. That would give him some clout. But that's not what he says. It shows his humility here. He just says, James, what? What's the next few words? A servant. A servant. James, a servant. You know what James thought? It's better to be a servant. It's kind of like David, the great songwriter in Israel, the great psalmist said this, I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of God. I'd rather be an usher in the house of God than any other position in the world. That's humility, isn't it? It really puts it in perspective, doesn't it? Huh? And so we get a little bit of incense, uh, a little bit of sense about uh, the writer James. And you know, if you look at tradition... And I, I like looking at history. I like looking into antiquity. James had a nickname. Does anybody know what his nickname is? Anybody know who? Somebody say it again. Camel knees. <laughs> That's right. That's good, Peter. Camel knees. You know why? He had these bony knees like you. No. No, because he was a prayer warrior. And when you look in antiquity and you read a little bit of the traditions, a lot of these fellows were martyred, Dominic. They, they were martyred for their faith. And you know what it says about James? James was thrown from the pinnacle of the temple. He landed on the ground, and the first thing he did, his, he got up on his knees and began to pray. And then they came and they clubbed them to death. That's the man who's writing this letter. I tell you what, Give him a little bit of, get a little bit of respect. 
Hello? Who's he writing to? Well, let's, let's look at it. He says in verse number one again, James, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ, to who? The 12 tribes which are scattered abroad. Greeting. Now, who are those 12 tribes? They go by a name. What's the name? Israel. It's the nation of Israel, right? 12 tribes. But notice what he says here about these 12 tribes. They're scattered abroad. Do you see that? And then in verse number two, the very first two words, my brethren, my brethren, James, a servant of God, you know, I'm writing this letter to the, the 12 tribes, the nation of Israel that's been scattered abroad, but not just the I'm talking about the born-again believers, the, the, the Jewish converts, those Messianic Jews. I'm writing to them because they've been scattered abroad. Now, let me put a little perspective in this. James, if he was the lead pastor of the first church in Jerusalem, and I believe he was. If not, I know he was the leader of the church. He was on pastoral staff. He's writing to church members who used to attend that church in Jerusalem, but because of persecution, were scattered. You say, how do you know that? Because I read the book of Acts. And in the book of Acts, chapter number 8, we begin to see how the church was growing and growing. Now pay attention right here. And growing. And they were getting comfortable and comfortable and comfortable. They began to enjoy all the, that New Testament church had. It had a youth program. It had a bus ministry. They used to use camels, but it had a bus ministry. They had a singles ministry, Connor. They had a music ministry. They had everything that everybody wanted in the church. I mean, there's thousands of people attending. Huh? It was, it was awesome. But the people were forgetting that God said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And they were getting comfortable there in Jerusalem. So guess what happens? God sends persecution. God begins to persecute the church. And as a result, the Bible says in Acts chapter number 8, I think verse 4, they went everywhere preaching the gospel. So because they would not go on their own, God had to force them to go. God shoved them out the door and said, go reach your neighborhood. Look here, the open Bible doesn't exist just for us four. This church is here to reach Williamstown, Gloucester County, Camden County, the state of New Jersey, and the world for that matter. <laughs> Amen. I felt a little preaching coming on. <laughs> yeah. And so, and so here's, here's James, the lead pastor, writing a letter, God-ordained, God-inspired, to those, those brothers and sisters that were scattered. And why is he writing them? He's writing to encourage them. He's writing to encourage them. He goes, they were going through some, they were going through, some, it was just a rough patch for them. Try to put this in perspective. As Jews, as Jews, these brothers were rejected by the Gentiles. As, as, as believers, they were rejected by other Jews. As being poor because they were poor, they were rejected by the socially rich. 
or the rich in their society. And so they're going through it. So James writes and just wants them to know that, hey, man, you have not been rejected by me or by the Lord. Right? Greeting, he writes. And then, and then he begins to get into, by the way, let me pause and just say this. In the church of Christ, Donald, what are you doing all the way back there? I can't pick on you when you're back there. In the church of Christ, everybody should be welcome. Now, don't just say amen. Mean it. So that means next week, if a, 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 a few people pull up here on a camel, I don't want to label bikers or truckers or just some rough-looking people pull up here next week. And they're not dressed in what you consider church clothing. I'm not sure where that's going today, right, because everything's changing. But they come in the back door, and, man, they got, they got all their paraphernalia with them. They got ink from head to toe. You know what that means, right? What is that? Tattoos. They are pierced everywhere, and you would not believe you can even get it pierced right there. They got their eyelids pierced. They got their eyelashes braided. You know, they got on their forehead, try me. You know, right? And, and I mean to tell you, they're not shirt and tie. I mean, they got leather on and boots and help me here. For some of, some of the old schoolers, they got hats on, and you're saying you can't wear a hat in the church of God. It's sacrilegious. And all of a sudden, we give them the cold shoulder. We give them the Baptist nod. <laughs> huh? I'm going to tell you something. If that's our attitude, you can rest assured God's going to take us. He's going to take that hand. He's going to take that favor. He's going to say, well, I can't trust them. I can't trust that church with these kinds of people. So we'll have to maybe put my hand on the church down the street. Hello? Everybody ought to be welcome. But they're not the right color skin, or they don't go to the right school, or they don't... Really? Really? Have we forgotten that the ground at the cross is level and we all come the same way? <laughs> huh? I hope not. James writes to the church, and then he gives them unbelievable instruction. Let's read a little bit. He said in verse number two, look at, look at this. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptation. Let's just read verse 2, 3, and 4. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience, let patience, but let, let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Now go back to verse 2 with me. And, and see, see look, put, think about it, think about it in, in, our, in our terms. Let's not get spiritual right now. Let's just be who we are for a second. Right? Somebody writes you a letter and says, hey, just, just be happy, even though the bottom just fell out of your life. Just be happy, even though you lost your job, your income, and you're about to lose your house. Just be happy that you got a tumor on your brain. Just be happy that you got surgery scheduled this week, that if it doesn't go right, you could die. Just be happy. You know what I'd say? Have you lost your mind? Are you a nut? Look here, if James would have wrote and said to the brethren, who scattered abroad, they, they, they're, not, they're not home anymore. They're not in their home church no more. They're no longer in, you know, nice circumstantial confines. They're going through some difficulties. And James writes and says, count it all joy. 
<laughs> if he'd have wrote and said, hey, listen, uh, go down to the doctor's office and get some meds for that, we'd say, okie dokie. Huh? I went to the doctor's last week. I got a sneezing problem. I wake up every morning sneezing and sneezing and sneezing. And I was hoping for sure I'm going to go to the doctor's. He's going to run the skin test. He's going to come back and he's going to say, I know exactly what it is. Take this pill. You'll never sneeze again. Boy, did I have high hopes. And he did all the tests. And you know what they do, man? They put they, they put all these allergens in your back, and then they say this, I'll be back in 15 minutes. I'm going to let you cook. <laughs> let me cook and don't scratch. All of a sudden, I got this on the top of my shoulder. Man, I was going crazy. I was praying, oh, God, please send that nurse back in. Please. I got to scratch this. And nothing else, was, nothing else was itching, you know? I mean, they, they put, they put in, in their dog, they put, they put trees, they put Baptist church members, they put <laughs> preacher friends, nothing but cat. I already knew I was allergic to cats. And so I said, Doc, what can I do? And he gave me one of those. What do you mean? I just, just spent $5,000 for you to tell me I'm allergic to cats? Is that a cat scan? <laughs> Am I paying for a cat scan here? So if James would have said, go to the doctors and get a pill, I can handle that. Maybe, maybe if James would have said this, uh, why don't you just, 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 just pack it up? You know, my brethren, pack it up. You're going through some tough times. Just, 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 no, but he says this, count it all joy. You know this. That's, that's, a, little bit, that's a little more difficult than it sounds. It's not that easy. It's not that easy, is it? Huh. And by the way, he's not saying be happy, <laughs> because there's a vast difference between being happy and being joyful. Happiness is a byproduct of joy. You have the joy of the Lord. It'll carry you through some tough times. There's no doubt about it. Huh? Uh, so he gives, some, he gives some good advice. And then, then he says this. Look at it. Look at it. He follows it up. Count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. What? Knowing this. So how can we count it all joy going through tough times? By the way, we're going to come back and look at this a little bit more in depth. He says, knowing this, knowing this, it's what we know, right? Uh, it's all going to work together. Look here, what works, uh, it works to make us mature and grow. So what I'm going through is going to help me to become more mature, more grown up. Look at this statement. Go ahead and flip it, guys. I like this statement. It's not original. I found this. It says, at the right time, God comes. In the right way, he appears. So don't bail out. Don't give up. Don't lay down the oars. He's too wise to forget you, too loving to hurt you. When you can't see him, just trust him. He's praying a prayer that he himself will answer. When all God's people said, Amen. Amen right there. Huh? I'll leave it up for a second. I see people taking pictures of it. Go ahead. Just don't put me in the picture. Look here, when God allows a difficulty to come our way, it's for our good. It's for our good. The words of Joseph ring loud here. Look at these. Look at this text of Scripture. Genesis 50, verse number 20. Joseph said, but as for you, ye thought evil against me, speaking to his brothers. Right? But God meant it unto good to bring the pass as it is this day to save much people alive. God doesn't make mistakes. Look here. God never wastes a test. There's no test. There's no testimony. 
right? I told my young brother here, Cole, great pitcher, and really, really wants to see if God will let him go to the next level. Well, just, just two weeks ago, has Tommy John surgery. That's pretty serious stuff. You know, a few years ago, I mean, Cole would have probably not even thought about maybe moving forward, you know. But more than God healing that arm, Cole, and God giving you complete recovery, and God allowing you to be stronger than before, it's the lessons God's going to teach you in the midst of all of it. God, that didn't happen for no reason. There's reason for all, and not just for Cole, but for the Fenton family and for the, for the Open Bible family and for the Inizzi family. God never wastes these tests. They're all for good reason to help us to, to grow up. See, the devil uses suffering to destroy us, but God uses it to develop us. <laughs> Amen? And then finally, I want you to see this one more thing, and then we'll finish. He said, verse 4, but let patience. I like that, but let have her perfect work. Isn't it amazing how patience is in the feminine gen- Huh? <laughs> I won't go any further than that. You know? But it's a great virtue. It is. Patience. It's a great virtue. And if you let patience have her perfect work, I mean, just don't get in the way, then you'll become perfect, entire, mature, complete, content. You know what contentment is? Contentment is having what you got. <laughs> right? Yeah. So what's he saying here? He's saying this, don't fight it. There's a process. Let God have his way in the process. You like needles? I, I, hate getting, I hate getting vaccinated. I hate when they have to draw blood. In fact, I can't watch. Usually I'll go like this. You finished yet? We've been done for 10 minutes, Pastor. You can open up your eyes now. Oh, okay. I don't like that. But they say this. They say that, yeah, you remember this when you were a kid, you're getting vaccinated for something or other. Now, now don't tense up your muscles. It'll hurt more. Just relax. Another one of those lies. Sticks and stones will break your names will never hurt you. It's another one of those lies. My mother told me. Don't tense up. It won't hurt as much. <laughs> but you know, it's true. If you just let God have his way, it won't hurt as much. Just get out of the way. Why? Because a lot of these trials and troubles that we go through, this scattering was a God thing. God is at work. And can I share just a couple of things? I was at a funeral yesterday, and God laid this upon my heart. I shared this yesterday, Mrs. Genizzi, at the funeral, uh, you know, about, about the storms that we go through, right? Life is filled with storms. I don't mean physical ones, and sometimes they are physical, but they're for a reason. I preached a message a lot of years ago called Stormy Weather from the North. And in that message, I never forget it. It stuck to me like, you know, oatmeal on a cold winter's day. I preached God's purpose in, in, in storms. Can I give this to you? Before? Don't, don't shut me off now and I'm finished. Sometimes God sends storms our direction, and we would label them, or he would label them, detecting storms. The storms come, the troubles come, the trials come. Because God is trying to detect something in our lives. There's a weakness. There's a proneness. There's something inside of us that God is trying to help us to see that we got to deal with. So when difficulties come your way, when storms come your way, maybe instead of griping or complaining or wondering why, maybe you say, Lord, if there's something there you're trying to, Something I need to see. Is there a weakness here? Is there, 
Is there a proneness here? Am I wandering a bit? Detecting storms. Another is this, developing storms. <laughs> developing storms. Sometimes God will send a storm into our life, a trial in our life, a trouble into our life, because he's trying to develop something in our lives. Oh, I wish some of you had listened to me this morning. He's trying to develop a, maybe a little bit of character. Maybe he's trying to develop a little bit more trust. Huh? Maybe he's trying to develop some integrity. Maybe there's something missing in your life, and so God sends this difficulty your way because he's trying to develop it in you. And then some storms are directing storms. Sometimes a storm will come into your life because God is trying to direct you. <laughs> Amen? Nothing like a negative circumstance to get your attention, and God begins to say, you know what COVID did for the church of Christ? It causes us to realize that there really is a God above, and this really is bigger than any of us, even all of us put together. Right? Just a virus. Just one virus shakes the world. And we're still, right? Repercussions still. Huh? And for many of us in the church, God was saying, I'm trying to direct you, church, because we are in the end times. In fact, we're at the end of the end times, and you need to get ready. What are you going to do? Look, it just took a, a virus for the government to come in the state of New Jersey and shut you down. Huh? God's trying to direct. I tell you, the storms of life, the difficulties of life, the ones that are sent to us by God are sent to us on purpose. You know, and if we just let God have his way. Amen. So let me ask you this question in closing. What's the Lord trying to teach us? What's the Lord speaking to us about today? I guarantee if you were listening, he spoke to you about something. Huh? I read this. Someone asked David Glass, the CEO of Walmart, who he admired the most, and his reply was Sam Walton. You know who Sam Walton is, right? Not, not, not the Walton TV program. He's the founder of Walmart, Sam's Club. And here's what he said, Sam, Sam Walton, and he went on to explain. He said this. He said, there's never been a day in his life since I've known him that he didn't try to improve in some way. Never been a day in his life that he did not try to improve in some way. Mm. Let me ask you, in what areas do we need to improve as Christians, as God's kids? How many of us believe, boy, the hour's late? I don't mean it's 10 minutes to 12. The hour's late, you know, as far as eternity. I mean, we're getting closer. Huh? And it's not time, it's not time, it's just not time for the church to just take a back seat. And it's time for us to step up individually. Get stronger. Be what God wants us to be. Amen? And move on. Look at this statement and I'm finished. Everything will work out in the end. If it's not working out, then it's not the end. <laughs> you ought to write that down. I'll leave that up for a couple of hours. You say, preacher, you got Bible for that? Mm hmm Romans 8, verse 28. And we know all things work together for good to them that love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Huh? 
If everything, everything will work out in the end, if it's not working out, it's not the end. And so, listen to this now, don't get, don't miss this, don't quit until God finishes. God's not done yet. Amen? Did you ever sing it? And we know all things work together for good to them that love the Lord. And we know all things work together for good to them that love the Lord. And we know, yes, we know, we don't hope, but we know, we don't think, but we know, and we know all things work together for good to them that love the Lord. Everything will work out in the end. If it's not working out, it's not the end. Faith works. That's study. Next several weeks, maybe until the Lord comes back, we're going to be in the book of James because it's a journey through, through a faith. That's what James talks to us about. Amen? And my encouragement to you is this. Allow this study to speak to your heart and grow you. That's why we come to church, right? God, grow us. I want to be grown up in the Lord. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you. Thank you for being so good to us. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for the word of God. I love the book of James, Lord. It's practical. It helps me every day of my life. and causes me to think right. And as a result of thinking right, I behave right. And I would ask that be the prayer of our hearts today. Help us to think right so that we might behave right. Help us to equip ourselves with the mind of Christ. There's someone here this morning who doesn't know Christ as their personal Savior. God, we pray for them. We pray that you open up their mind today and heart today toward the truth of your word. And Holy Spirit of Almighty God, bring conviction into their hearts so that you might bring conversion into their life. We pray for those of us who have been born again that we'll consider this truth this morning and have a deep desire in our heart to grow up. Help us to begin to look at areas where we need to improve upon each day of our lives. Help us to have a plan for growth. And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. And amen. Thanks again for watching us online today. If you haven't done so already, please fill out a digital connection card so we know how to better serve you this week. For encouragement throughout your week, you can listen to past sermons by searching Open Bible Baptist Church on the Apple Podcast or Google Play Store. If you'd like to give today, you can give online at openbiblenj.org. Thanks again for joining us today. We'll see you on the next broadcast.